Hello and welcome to Credit Shift News and Update. This week we have our co-host again, Cormac O'Neill, Webio CEO, back with us to explore recent news, stories, events, reports and trends in the credit industry. Let's dive in. Hey, how are you doing, Cormac? Hey, Paul. Let's start with some general industry news. We were just going through a new credit card report from FICO this week. Uh, they released a new specific credit card market report, and it indicates that spending is trending upwards. It's the highest in 16 years, with average balances trending upwards. The percentage of payments to balance dropped by 3.7% in June, and the number of customers missing two payments is 26.6% higher than in June 2022. The percentage of accounts going over their limit has also shown a marked increase over the last 12 months, with new accounts, those open less than 12 months, showing the sharpest increase. Overall, people seem to be managing these higher balances, but there is continued pressure here, which can be seen in the growth of missed payments and the rise in the amount of people using their credit card for cash withdrawals. Always a bad sign with me anyway. So it would seem that there are signs of strain here, but no big breakdown in payments occurring yet. Um, Cormac, are you seeing anything in these trends that are kind of worrying to you or are comforting to you? Is there anything positive or negative that you see here? Yeah. So look, I have to make a declaration here. Our household is a power user of credit cards. Uh, We we just appear to have gotten into this monthly cycle where we use our credit card to buy all our groceries and uh, all our kind of like our day to day stuff. Um, I know that's a bad habit, but, you know, I used to live in in the States for a number of years and I think that's where that kind of habit crept in. But you used to get loads of like, you know, air miles and all this stuff using your credit card in the US, which you don't get here. Um, But we do. We use it quite a lot. We use it every month. But what we do try and do is we do try and clear it uh, every month as much as we possibly can, because there's no getting away from it. Credit cards are the most, uh, one of the most expensive forms of, of credit out there. You know, you're looking at high team percentage rates on on um, payments. Uh, but what a lot of people actually don't know, right? One thing I will not do with a credit card is withdraw cash because the rate you get charged uh, when you withdraw cash on your credit card is higher than the regular rate for your purchases. I guarantee you a lot of people don't know that, right? Like for example, the, the bank that we uh, have our credit card with, which I won't name, um, the purchase rate is around 16, 17%. If you withdraw cash, uh, it goes over 20. So I think a lot of people don't realize that. Um, uh, and look, the needs most of the times, right? If you need to, to get to your hand on some cash, this is what you got to do. So, um, so yeah, I'm very familiar with, with credit card. And it's uh, the two payment thing is, is interesting also because uh, I think that might have implications for companies that, that provide credit. If you if you miss two or more payments, there are implications there around accountancy rules. How do you account for that? How do you account for uh, potential losses on your balance sheet? Uh, so I think there may be implications there for for companies uh, around customers missing two or more payments on their loans. So uh, I think we'll have to keep an eye on this one, Paul. Yeah, it's um, that credit average credit limit going up. That that amount is now at like five thousand five hundred and eighty pounds. 
that's a big average balance on a credit card. I mean, I'd be, I'd be worried about that as an, as an average. It's quite big, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a, it's a big trend. You know, we're still, I think in the States, we're seeing for the first time credit card lending go over $1 trillion. Uh, that was a number I, I came across recently. Yeah. So I, I think when we talk about the technology business, it seems to be, you know, very big business. Um, but I think it's pretty much dwarfed by the size of consumer finance um, as a market. Um, all right, let's move on to uh, one of my favorite uh, topics, embedded finance. There are certainly many different strategic trends impacting on the credit industry, including AI, the changing regulatory landscape. But today I'm again drawn to the embedded finance area. And this week it's Klarna in the spotlight as they posted some absolutely stellar results. The Swedish fintech uh, has seen its business boom in Europe and in the UK and has continued to grow in the States. It's significant growth with 26% increase in gross merchandise value in the UK and a 14% increase across Europe in the second quarter of the year. The company has amassed over 100 million European customers and struck deals with over 470,000 merchants. I mean, just the sheer scale of this thing is Mm -hmm. kind of staggering. Uh, The consumers are just trending towards being a little bit older from 33 to 36 years old. They spend a little bit more, but the average order value is 80 pounds and the average outstanding debt is 150 pounds. So you can see it's a little bit different. It's, it's, um, it's far less than typical debts accrued to credit cards, but they are different kinds of financial products. And given the high debt balance just reported on the credit cards, maybe the growth in Klarna needs a kind of reframing in the general population as to how we, we think about it or how it's reported on. Uh, Klarna didn't confirm whether the increased demand would result in a, a profit or, or drive up its losses. But given that it posted a loss of a billion in 2022, um, it's, it's definitely capable, I would say, of, of getting to profit quickly. Uh, it's bucking a trend here uh, in that other buy now, pay later players have exited the industry. And there could be a certain amount of mopping up going here as, as other players exit. It'll be interesting to see if Klarna will focus on getting back its lean and profitable roots uh, this year, or uh, does it continue to go for growth uh, in a pretty tough interest rate environment, especially for uh, buy now, pay later players? Perhaps uh, one thing that caught my attention, um, and I don't know how, how many people kind of reflected on this, but in its recent PR releases, Klarna self-described as an AI-powered global payments network and shopping assistant. So Klarna as an assistant on any site that can help you buy a product or service more effectively or conveniently is a very interesting prospect and might be a real differentiator against the giants like PayPal. Um, Cormac, I, I don't know if, if we have anything to say in particular about buy now, pay later services, but Klarna clearly blowing the doors out here. Um, anything? Yeah, there's there's a there's a couple of things in there, Paul. Look, you and I have been talking for quite a while now about this idea of AI powered assistance uh, in on people's mobile phones. So I think this is really this is the biggest thing that jumped out at me 
looking at Klarna's uh, release. Uh, obviously, they've got their mojo back in terms of uh, their growth. Uh, and actually on that, I'm just thinking, if you look at the growth in, in credit card usage and Klarna, uh, I'm wondering, are people, is there a danger here that people are maxing out on, on cards and then switching over to buy now, pay later providers and continuing to ratchet up their debt. Um, so that's certainly no, no, no data on that. It's just something that I'm thinking as I'm, I'm reading this. So um, that's something that we need to be careful on for sure. But the 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 AI-powered shopping assist almost sounds friendly, right? Almost sounds like these are mm. the good guys that are that are there to to help you and assist you and 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 all the rest, right? So, um, but that is that's really interesting to see where they're going to go with that. Um, you know, they're definitely going beyond just providing payment solutions and now starting to get over into helping you select and find and and yeah. then ultimately buy products. So that is definitely one to keep an eye on. I'm I'm really seeing this as um how would this shape up against Amazon? Yeah. Like if you could if you could let's say uh Amazon could help you buy locally, uh could help you find the local shop that has your thing and uh, and gave you finance to buy it. Like, hey, you found your bike locally. Hey, pay with Amazon Pay. It's, you know, five or six easy installments for you and you can just go into town and buy it. Um, it's like, oh, okay, that's kind of handy, right? So I, I think both of these markets uh, start to kind of cross over in terms of e-business e and the financing of the, the products and then the finding of the products. Mm -hmm. So which matters more to people, the finding? Uh with payments attached or having the finance up front and then going to the finding. Interesting challenge in the future. Yeah, well, I think the finding part where, where Klarna are looking to position themselves there, again, it's almost like they're they're being your friend. They're being objective here. They're just helping you find goods, you know, whether it's Amazon or, or whether it's, you know, any other retailer, um, you know, they don't mind. They're just helping you find those products. And once they help you find those products, well, guess what? They're going to help you buy those products, right? So, mm. um, you know, so that's that's really, really interesting one. So, um, yeah. I'm, I'm starting to wonder, just thinking aloud here, did did Amazon miss a tick by not buying Klarna? Um, they appear to be doing reasonably okay, Amazon themselves at the moment. Um, you know, they might argue against that, but yeah, possibly. Well, one of the things that might be creeping up the side here is uh, in payment products is the Financial Conduct Authority's duty of care legislation um, in that if you are offering a payment solution, what kind of duty of care might you have in that situation? I'm just thinking if you're offering, uh, let's say you're on a checkout and you're offering to pay with a credit card or a debit card. Perhaps a duty of care is to inform the uh, the user that one is cheaper than the other, or one is a credit impact, or there could be other implications of just fair trade. Uh, I, I think it's it's worth exploring um, because the the financial conduct authority is identified has identified in terms of poor practice and situations in which a consumer is in a lesser position, such as a weaker bargaining position or where there are asymmetries of information 
consumer inertia, lack of understanding, or behavioral biases, that there may be duty of care to fall on payments providers in this situation. Now, currently, the buy now, pay later providers, such as Klarna, fall outside of this FCA regulation. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking that eventually it, it, it's got to fall into uh, some form of oversight and legislation in this area. And I would be surprised if there wasn't an element of a duty of care in that. And I'm thinking how difficult we, we had a quick conversation about this last week about the legislative background for embedded services that maybe mesh with one another. Maybe they're a compounding of various um, services aggregated together. And we were saying that maybe there's uncertainty uh, as to where responsibility lies in each part of that chain. But if you're a payment provider or a gateway and you are in a mesh of embedded services uh, on, uh, let's say, a car rental website or a secondhand uh, marketplace for cars, do you have any duty of care as the payment service in that situation? I think that's something that's going to um, need fleshing out and keeping an eye on. Maybe it's not there right now, but I think it is, it is worth keeping your eye on. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Cormac. Look, I think we know, Paul, from speaking to our customers that, you know, customer duty is front and center right now. Um, it's on all their, their minds and it's something that they're, they're, they're actively working on and, and um, you know, dealing with. I think what will be interesting is to see what's the follow through on this from the FCA, uh, you know, now that it's introduced, um, how is this going to be? policed and managed uh, moving forward. I think that's going to be that's going to be key. Um, look, I, I agree with you in terms of the payment providers. I'm surprised if they wouldn't fall under this uh, duty of care. I mean, you know, you got to provide products and services that actually meet your customer needs. Um, you got to do that in a way that your customers can understand and that's clear and it's it's in it's in jargon free language and people can understand exactly what they're getting into and going back to um, uh, our credit card discussion at the start, you know, that idea of cash withdrawals costing more than, than payment purchases on a credit card. Do people know that? Do You know, when they're doing that cash withdrawal, do they know, you know, by the way, this is going to cost you 5% more than if you just buy a product with the card. You know, I'm just letting you know that as before you actually take out the cash. So, you know, I, I would, I'm surprised if they don't fall under this, they certainly should. Um, and then the follow through on that in terms of providing people with the support um, that they require when they need it. We know, Paul, from talking to people in the buy now, pay later area that their focus primarily at the beginning of this boom and buy now, pay later was on actually providing the credit, uh, giving out the credit. And that's where most of their investment went. There was very little investment in the back end that, hey, things are going to go uh, aren't going to go right all the time. You know, people are going to fall into arrears. People are going to need support. Without a shadow of a doubt, the buy now, pay later players are catching up with that um, or having to play catch up on that, uh, you know. So, yeah, I, I certainly think that the consumer duty is going to play uh, uh, an increased role in these guys going forward. But again, let's see how this one plays out. It's only It's only been introduced 
Um, so I think it's another one that we got to keep an eye on. Yeah, well, we, we do try and uh, let people know on this podcast uh, things that may not be hitting the radar or may not be high enough in their strategic thinking. So while it's not there today, it's one of those kind of maybe political, economic, science, technology trends that they want to keep an eye on and have a uh, have have somebody keep their eye on that um, and and report in every quarter. Um, moving on again to our third section, the AI industry. Uh, we keep an eye on this because hey, we have an interest in it ourselves, but it's also one of the biggest trends impacting every industry. And we saw that last week when we looked at the McKinsey report on Gen AI, as it's now being called. And this week I came across a very interesting article from a Substack newsletter uh, called FinTech Brain Food. So going from biggest consultancy company in the world to a newsletter, which is very authoritative. And that is the nature of the world we live in right now. Um, it was basically putting A and B together to get C. So. The thesis of uh, the, the newsletter was that Gen AI represents an opportunity for software to eat business process outsourcing or BPO. Now, the scale of business process outsourcing is staggering in terms of being hundreds of billions of dollars in the U US alone. Globally, I, I can't even put a number on how big it is. But a lot of the business of these BPOs is dealing with the legacy IT infrastructure that runs the world, but it's nearly impossible to change. Um, if you've been in a Main Street bank or insurance company, you are deeply familiar with this legacy challenge. The code base is always massive, mm -hmm. hard to comprehend. It wasn't designed to be changeable or easy to use because, hey, it was designed 40 years ago. You might have heard the term COBOL. Um, that's a programming language that's at the base of a lot of these banks that the last people to work with it are now fully retired um, and nobody knows the language anymore. So the platforms were built uh, before modern APIs and design thinking exists. And this creates massive risk, cost, process lock-in, and, and companies solve that by outsourcing or offshoring that, that work. Now, if Gen AI co-pilots for coding are very good at these tasks. They can identify the code. They can take code that's basically uncommented, tangly, difficult to understand, and they make it addressable. So just like you can copy code, put it into a, a code interpreter, the code interpreter will tell you, this seems to be a, uh, let's say, batching function, or this seems to be a grouping function, or this seems to be a compiler. And you can actually get a description of the code, and then you can get it to comment the code, and then you could get it to say, look, take that COBOL code, reassemble it using this thinking, turn it into this kind of program, now check that program. And then the human coder looks at it and goes, yeah, 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 ah, that's wrong. That should go before that. I'll just double check that, test, good to go. Uh, so this sounds like, uh, like a really... One of those things that you go, uh, yeah, that'll all get solved by magic. Um, <laughs> you know, how, how are we going to do this, boss? Oh, it'll be magic. Uh, uh, we have this magic unicorn sprinkly dust. But if it does turn out to be a thing, and I have a feeling that it's pretty close to being true, that I think there's a strong chance that it could be true. And, and the thing I'm kind of thinking of is, 
what if it is true? And how can you know this as fast as possible? Because if you can unlock that as a, a CEO of a large insurance company, and you say, hold on a second, I, I don't have to live with this legacy <clears throat> software, run that by me again. I, I'd have an innovation team all, all over that right now. I don't know if you have any thoughts on what that might mean. I have, I have a couple of thoughts. It's like, look at the Gen AI thing and, and what's possible is just mind-blowing here, right? And the problem I see, or sorry, the blocker, it's not a problem, right? The blocker mm. I see to that happening is there's a lot of consultancy money being made from these legacy systems in these big banks, okay? So there is a lot sure. of, there's a lot of revenue being generated from managing this old code and making sure everything works. So by switching it all out, um, you're almost asking for the turkeys here to vote for Christmas because they're the ones who are going to be asked to switch it all out. And then suddenly this, this revenue stream that's coming from this legacy code um, is, is all gone. So uh, I think what it's going to take, uh, again, let's remember what we're talking about here are financial institutions, large mm. banks, and, um, you know, notoriously conservative. Um, and rightly so when it comes to ins- making sure that your, your, your systems are robust and, 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 and stay up and bulletproof. You know, it, we listen. Uh, we even saw it with the flight disruption in the UK uh, on their systems. You know, if these things go wrong, the impacts are huge, huge across millions of people. So notoriously conservative, so they're slow to change and take big risks on these systems. So I think it's going to take somebody to be really, really brave, uh, really brave, and say, as you say, Paul you know what, guys, we're going to put a team together. We're going to look at this. We're going to see what's the art of the possible and can this be done? And if somebody is brave enough, do that. You're going to find the other guys are going to follow. They're going to go, mm. wow, look what they've just done. You know, we, we got to do the same. Um, you know, so I think, uh, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, even let's, we're assuming here that what you see is possible and that you can just switch it out by 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 using this technology. But again, um, if it is possible, it's 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 intriguing. Just looking at the pace of uh, the developments in this area, the coding, um, I'm like I'm pretty convinced that this is a big deal, um, and I think it's going to transform the way people work. It's it's like the accountants getting a spreadsheet. It's it's just changes the work that they do, and I'm going to take a different tack than you there. I think that once, if you think about all the things a financial institution could do if it was unlocked from the code basis that it's stuck on, I think you'd see uh, uh, the highest spend they ever had on IT because now they can actually spend money and get outcomes instead of spend money just to maintain a frozen situation or a frozen stack. So they've, they're, they're kind of like that. Uh, the, the monkey with their hand in the cookie jar in that their hand right now is around frozen code and they're afraid if they take their hand off and everything falls to yeah, pieces. Exactly, yeah. But they, they got to leave it go. If they could leave it go, the, the possibilities for them suddenly open up. So I, my, just as we're talking, I'm thinking maybe that first mover doing this is not in the UK jurisdiction. Maybe they're in a, um, 
a country with maybe a, a, a different legal background or a different kind of responsibility structure where the, the penalty isn't so hard for them falling. But as you said, it doesn't matter where in the world it happens these days. Once it's once somebody says, hey, this bank did X to get Y, now it's then it's going to be a competition to find out who 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 knows how to do this. And uh, the cost of those people with those tools suddenly goes up. Like if you if you could transform a bank by swapping out the code, you really don't care how much those coders cost anymore. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a very good point, Paul, that look at, you know, by just doing it, what it could potentially uh, unleash in terms of, um, you know, the ability to accelerate the, your development. And so it is uh, our, our technology development. Uh, I think that's a fair point. Yeah, I'd say it's, I mean, you know, people a lot smarter than me working in these financial institutions. And every time I kind of talk to them, they go, yeah, we we know this. Um, we have a, a, an innovation team working on this for the last couple of months. Um, and I'm always surprised, you know, how how kind of aggressive in, they are in the innovation. I think the thing that's that's so hard is it never seems to get through to the main business. It, it It's always stuck in in the innovation team or in these kind of breakout uh-huh. um, specialty groups and it never makes it back into the main stack. But the, the, the code rewrite isn't the only thing that the large language models seem to be potentially impacting the BPOs at. Um, I used to say, uh, genuinely used to say this, which is humans are a great interface. Um, if you give a, a human three or four screens to check in and out of, and check like a balance on this screen, a customer account on another, um, uh, the internet in the middle screen, they can integrate this information in their brain and give a response back to um, a person. Because that's how like humans are able to deal with three or four screens and, and get that information. We're a great interface. We're great at, at dealing with that. And we're also very good at dealing with ambiguous situations and what's called a very organic uh, environment, very changeable environment where um, it's not always obvious from hour to hour what your job is going to be and what the elements of that job are and what skills you need to do it. That's like a super organic role. But it turns out that uh, large language models are pretty good at this um, if if those roles are kind of trained on. So an example of this is where they're able to sense text and pictures. And uh, as you may know, some of those outsourcing firms, they do a lot of work for the social media companies to screen out content and make sure that violent or illegal content isn't uploaded and spread on their platforms. Well, if LLMs are trained to spot those videos and do those rules, that's a really attractive service to be able to offer those companies and it but again it's a revenue line for those outsourcers bpos who are performing this work thousands and thousands of people doing this work in the uk and ireland right now that work goes away and those people might be used in other services but definitely that work goes away and i'm not sure this or have the bpos done a full analysis of kind of threats and opportunities with these LLMs across their businesses. I haven't seen any yet, but it, it seems to me that more rules or more jobs that they do are in one sense vulnerable 
to these changes. But on the other side, again, always like if you can sell that as a service to um, your present clients, then it, you probably end up making more money as a BPO because you're, you're, you're still able to protect your margins. Um, and again, the harm that's done to actual people who are manually doing that today is removed. Now, I know that there are jobs that people get paid for to do today, but I don't think anyone would say that those jobs do not have harms attached to them. So I think that that's another point about Gen AI and BPO potential disruption. And I think the third thing around this AI this week is um, many of those BPOs and government customers of the BPOs really demand um, d- like absolute security, uh, data compliancy over um, uh, auditing, etc. Very strict on those. And that has tended to lock these companies out of using LLMs up until this week, because this week, both OpenAI and Google have released a kind of private chat GPT, a private LLM, allowing you to custom train your data on their models. And I think that that really will open up the enterprise IT and the BPOs to, okay, now we can really start thinking about how we offer deeper levels of customization for our customers. And I, I think that might open up the uh, the market to the potential of what a custom LLM, a custom language model might be able to do for them. Um, and I think it was uh, Brett Kinsella yesterday on his Gain podcast was saying that in the, um, in the first half of the announcement from Google this week, they mentioned no data leakage 16, 17 times, kind of really indicating that they know the major concern of using these platforms and their services is data leakage. And, and we know that enterprises are very concerned about that. But I think this might be um, the week where companies start kind of waking up to the, the fact that they can actually use these in a compliant way. And I think one of the other things that was said by Brett on his podcast was that uh, OpenAI said in their announcement that, or I think, sorry, I think it was Google who said that um, that if OpenAI is used in over 80% of Fortune 500 companies in that the people have registered with ChatGPT accounts, Google was kind of saying, well, don't you want those people to be in a compliant environment? Like, don't you want them to be in, um, in your company's LLM, using your company's approved tools, et cetera, and to fall under your own compliance? So the takeaway for me there was that Companies are, I think, going to be turned on to this much more than they were before, just from the sheer force of marketing from people like OpenAI and Google. It's really going to wake people up to the fact that you can now do this kind of thing and get them thinking about, well, what's the best way for for me to do it? What do you think? Over to me. All right. So uh, 80% of Fortune 500s are using uh, LLMs. The other 20% are lying or don't know that their teams, <laughs> that their teams are already using um, uh, ChatGPT or, or, or an equivalent. Because that's fact. There's two things here. There's the official use of LLMs within your enterprise and there's the unofficial use. So I am fairly certain that... Um, 
CEOs, management don't know that their teams are currently using ChatGPT to help them uh, in their in their work today. Fairly pretty certain we we found out ourselves when we did our own internal analysis of this. All but two of the the team at Webby will use it in some shape or form to to help them do their job, and that's to be embraced. And I think you need to then come up with a formal strategy for how your team or how your company plans to use it internally across divisions among teams. I think that's a must now. You can't you can't sit in your hands anymore uh, and do a wait and see. It's already in there. It's already being used. You know, I'm pretty confident. That's an opinion, by the way, but I'm pretty confident I'm, sure. I'm right on that. The closed loop or the private LLMs is critical to get adoption in enterprise. We see that ourselves when we're talking to our customers. They just can't use, uh, you know, an open uh, AI or chat GPT that, that's got, what is the term, data leakage, uh, whatever that, mm-hmm. yeah, they can't, they just, just can't do it, right? So, uh, but they can use Webio's internally developed closed loop uh, LLMs because it's it's completely uh, secure to them and it's theirs. So they can use that. So um, I think that's to be welcomed. I think that will start to see more and more usage. Uh, but again, you know, you just got to, you can't, you can't sit and watch this one anymore. You got to be actively planning as to how you're going to use LLMs within your organization. I think it's a must. You need to set up a team to look at it, to see it can become a superpower for uh, various parts uh, of your business, for sure. So you might as well embrace it. I think it would be naive for us to think that um, when we say people can be used to do other functions, the, the bottom line here, folks, is that this is going to replace jobs that are happening there today that are that have been done by us. It is, right? So I think that's something we're just going to have to kind of almost just wake up to and go, you know, this is going to change uh, roles. Uh, it's going to remove jobs. We know. Yeah. So look, that's that's my view on that. One. I I think I, I just like to clarify there in terms of jobs and tasks as words that are inter intertwined. There, the actual amount of people losing their jobs after a, a chat GPT etc. implementation is actually not flowing through. They just stopped doing that work. So instead of doing 80% of the, like, take our world, hey, what's my balance? Can I move my payment days? Is there a way I can pay with another card? Like all these standard kind of questions. Um, what's happening is the maybe 10 or 15% of people that you really could spend more time with and really probe into what their circumstances are and how you might be able to help them. Um, the, the time is those people are now, you now have the people that you can point at those uh, individuals that do need the deeper human interaction. Um, and that's seen across a bunch of industries is that the nature of the job changes and actually the employees become happier because they're working on jobs that are more challenging, um, more varied, have more humanity to them, frankly. Um, yeah, so I, I think this is, I keep on getting asked uh, in reports like, are, are people going to lose their jobs all around the world from this? And it, it's just not going to be the case. Um, I, I always think of the, um, I, I think this is true. It's like a factoid that's in my brain. The, the only job category to ever fully disappear was the, um, uh, what's it called? The lift elevator. The, the man who stood in the lift and pressed the button for you. 
apparently that's like one of the only jobs that's ever fully disappeared. So jobs are like remarkably resistant. Um, I remember uh, the IT, there was a guy, usually a guy in a company, the IT manager, and his job was to look after all your IT and equipment in the business. And as all that went to the cloud, that job just disappeared, right? There was no need to have somebody by manually looking at your switches and your stack. But a lot of those people became like uh, cloud software people. They just changed the nature of the job to another job. Um, so I, I think it's, uh, I think it's going to be, a, a, you know, I, I think it always takes longer than you think for these big changes to flow through. But the impact is always much, much bigger than you suspected. And I know we use this example of back in 2000, we thought that uh, ADSL or broadband would give us faster television. It would bring movies into your house. It would be uh, transformative in that sense and that like it's going to be bringing you cable TV. But there was no sense that broadband would enable you to remote work, to be doing video conferencing, to have content networks, to have distributed collaborative working. There was no sense that that really would be the end result of broadband. And thus the impact on society was much bigger than people really understood. And I think that's the nature of the change we're dealing with with, with the AI at the moment, is that it might take a bit longer than people are talking about in general for it to flow through. But when it does, it'll be a sea change. There's going to be a lot of change on the other side of this. Cormac, do you have anything to add to the wrap up from today's session? No, Paul, not, nothing to add. Another interesting week, and I'm sure we'll have many more of them in the weeks ahead. Okay, well, I'd like to thank you again for being my co-host this week on Credit Shift. Pleasure. If Again, if you would like to know anything about Webio, do go to our website, webio.com. Check out our news and updates. And hopefully you'll join us again next week for another episode of Credit Shift. Keep your eye open for the upcoming special interviews with leading industry figures. We hope by that time that you'll be a firm subscriber. So hit that bell or hit that subscribe button wherever you are. I look forward to you joining us again next time. 